0: Enemy power up detected. host 7 Mech Warriors. It's your boy Captain Cat here, joining you for another episode of Incoming Missile, a Mech Warrior online podcast. Well, It was April last time we had Kalon and not Bob of Aces Wild on the podcast. We've got them back in the pod lab to reflect on how it went now that ISC season two is all behind us. We chat to them about what they learned, what they might do differently for a potential ISC season three. We also drill down a little into the comp meta and examine the levers you can move in forming your tournament rule set and what effects that has on gameplay. A Couple of announcements. Looking towards the horizon, we have a couple of one-day events coming up. Renegades 3s, that's a one-day 3v3 event scheduled for 3rd of August, so sign a team up now for that. Heroes vs. Zeros is another one coming up, so check that out as well. And finally, we have the MWOC Championship Series 2019, which is a community-run stand-in for Worlds this year. The details for that are still being worked out, but I expect to hear about that very soon. So plenty of competitive play out there to scratch your high-level MW edge. Be sure to join the MWO Comp Discord and follow the MWO League's Twitch channels so you don't miss any action. And better yet, get your homies and map strats together and sign yourself up to play. As always, a big thank you to our patrons. Dan N, Ryan Craig, John Doea, MWO Comp, Jacob Sawyer, Shaky Snake, Brios, Chill Gapson, Night of the Day, Robin M, and Nakoro Dungad. Your support is fantastic, so if you see these guys in-game, give them a GG from us. And if you did want to support us in more tangible ways, like these amazing mech warriors, you can become a patron for as little as $2 a month. So look for Incoming Missile Podcasts on Patreon. Well, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Right, so if you've been following along, you'll know that the Anisphere Coalition, the 6v6 Anisphere only tournament, is wrapped up now. And you may have caught the post episode we did around the performance of the teams, the mechs and strats, Kozen did uh, Power of Work doing all that stuff. And um, so if you haven't, go back and check those out. But today, we're going to zoom out of the mech stats and we're going to talk to tournament organizers Kalon, Farstar, and Not Bob from ACES Wild about the competition itself and reflect on some of the wider questions about putting together a tournament of this kind. Specifically, we're going to chat to them about the rules and format of ISC, which was a little different from what we've seen lately, and then reflect on some of the things they've learned from organizing. So, welcome, Kalon and Notbub. How are you guys doing? Uh, Doing fantastic. How are you? Yeah, great, great. So, tournament's all wrapped up. What's the main feeling? Is it a bit of a... Relief that it's finished, or regret that it's over
1: uh, both I think, and uh, just, <laughs> just pretty much overall happy how it went. We uh, didn't lose a single team throughout it, and everybody seemed really positive at the end and and uh, we're considering it a, a pretty solid
0: success and uh, I know that not Bob, you were piloting in the tournament, and Kalon you're more uh, sort of running things and puppet master behind the scenes is that about right?
1: yeah, I pulled myself out of the um, uh, playing side of it just so that I could remain objective and, and manage it from uh, and ha- also be a referee for any of the issues
0: that came. I guess it's nice to get sort of the two perspective, one from the sort of arbitration and one from on the ground, as it were.
2: Exactly. And well, I was also a player, I did a
0: lot of the uh, admin
2: stuff in terms of like keeping up all the uh, data and sheets and like that. And it kind of worked out for
0: everyone involved, I think. Yeah, I mean, you guys did what appeared to be a huge amount of work.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It, what? So it looks like a huge amount of work,
2: but because uh, all the systems we have in place are kind of transparent, it actually wasn't too, too much, but it still was a decent amount.
1: Yeah, we were able to
0: automate quite a bit of it using Google Docs and stuff that, that really smoothed things out for over Yeah, yeah. What you guys introduced for that side sort of things was, was really cool with the engine website being able to run over all the data that you need whenever you needed it. How how many Discord messages did you end up answering? (laughs) Oh, God, I don't even know. Uh, Tons.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mostly the roster updates were the big ones. Um, We had a lot of changes to the roster over the tournament.
0: Yeah. You seem to be available pretty much any time, day or night. Yeah, yeah. Because we need sleep anyways, right? (laughs) (laughs) and Kellen I think you were uh, at sea for some of it
1: I was I was actually for um, a little bit of it and I was still able to get just enough internet to make sure that I was updating the results and the MC payout so that was a big part on my side where Nabob was handling the roster updates (laughs) Um, but yeah just that drizzle of internet I could get out there on our uh, VSAT satellite internet was able to let me keep updating and, and, Thank God I wasn't playing, because there's no way I could have played out there with 900 ping. It would have been terrible.
2: (laughs) What you don't know is it would be the
0: same type of skill you'd see. I mean, what? Ooh. (laughs) 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 I mean, it makes you harder to hit as well. If you're one second away from where you should be. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, with that in mind, how much work you guys did end up doing, how much you had to make yourself available and all that arbitration or that kind of thing. You know, has it put you off running another one for a while? are oh, you satisfied that
2: no not really uh i think we actually want to run a isc season three i don't know how soon but we kind of want to run another one uh not too long because it's it it doesn't really seem it seems like a lot of work but it also doesn't seem like a lot of work after you've done it you're like oh cool that only took three hours tonight cool not bad i can do it again
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, so then
2: yeah it's, it's it's not bad at all so I, i'm actually really excited for when we bring it up again uh We're still trying to figure out time and all the judges like that, but it really hasn't put us off at all in terms of wanting to run another tournament or even more or different tournaments.
0: Glutton's for punishment,
2: (laughs) a little
1: (laughs) more about the timing right now of when another MWO
0: uh, comp tournament would be a good time to run. Yeah. We're definitely spoiled for choice at the moment with tournaments.
2: Yeah, there's like three at once right now. And it's like, oh, man, that's that's a lot. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to set up teams. And then, uh, unfortunately, like, the Summer Grand Prix had a really weird time for um, myself on Saturday. So I can't really make them. But it's like, oh, man, there's there's like three the Summer Grand Prix, the 2 two eighth uh, one going on. Or, um, oh, here's and Zeros is going on. And uh, what's we'll- the third one? But yeah, there's there's a lot for choice right now. So we kind of want to let... The Renegades. Renegades, that's the one. So we're trying to let the tournaments kind of run down a little bit so there's less going on the way. Because ISE isn't exactly a small commitment with the 6v6. We kind of take it akin to like more or uh, back in the day M- MCW and uh, MRBC. So we we kind of think it's like a pretty large commitment where I feel like uh, Summer Grand Prix... well, it's still a big commitment, I don't think it's as big as uh, a larger 6v6 format. Um, That's just my opinion, because I'm a little biased there, but I I just feel that way with the larger group sizes. It takes a little bit more to strategize, get your deck set up, uh, get your teams prepared, get the maps all set up. Uh, Where 2v2, it's a little bit easier to practice because you can actually just drop into Tolaris or private lobbies and practice exactly what you need, rather than trying to find 8 or 12 people to uh, make a lobby so you can do some matches and test out your strategies
0: yeah for sure and I mean um, I said there's a lot going on but it should be noted that these are all going to be sort of single day or you know over a couple of days uh, type events so it's going to be quite a quite a different situation to one of these um you know six or seven week long tournaments um and it's you know fairly manageable to um to take part in all of them I think if you want to so well, I think we'll um come back to isc season three in a later part of the show. Um, But for now, let's come back to the one that's just finished. We had uh, some rules and parameters around the tournament that were quite fun that we had never seen before. Um, How do you think that those went? I mean, let's just run through some of the things. The 6v6, is that something you would use again, change? Definitely. Yeah. I think I think the 6v6 was very
1: popular.
2: Uh, everybody I spoke to liked that format. Yeah, the 6v6 seemed to have a lot of fun. I think it's also a lot more manageable for newer teams. Um, and so we're probably going to be keeping that 6v6 format and obviously Intersphere only because it is called the Intersphere Coalition, not the uh, Inner Worlds Coalition, you know?
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So I've ha- had a little bit of conversation lately around around the um tournament um team sizes and things like that um i mean i saw one pop up why isn't there a 12v12 tournament you know um we've had mor which was 8v8 yours was 6v6 you we know we're talking about 3v3s and 2v2s with renegade 3s and um heroes and zeros what is the difference why what is the advantage why is why is competitive play generally 6v6 for 8v8 so with
2: six sixes, uh Couple different reasons why I, I feel like 6v6s 8v8s are a little bit more ideal for a competitive setting in MechWare. Uh, one of the biggest reasons is it's much easier to find and field teams. Um, while MechWare is still a decently large community, it is not exactly growing, but it's kind of stable. So as people burn out, it's harder and harder and harder to get a full 24 people for one day to set up a scrimmage each other or set up a match so it's a lot easier to manage with 12 people that you have to find in one day to work versus 24 which especially with uh, this older community that you know we all work jobs yet people have lives families it's really hard to uh set up times with all 24 where 6v6 is a lot easier on the people to set it up uh it's also easier to set up job decks uh of course then again that kind of goes back to the tonsilence but that's different story there um, but also with the 6v6s, it's honestly a little bit more fun because you're using the same amount of map with a smaller number of mechs. So you can do a little bit different strategies than you'll see in a 12v12, where honestly, there's just probably too many people to do like a to, a big flank like, like that without being completely outnumbered. Where if you do like a four and two flank, it's like, okay, you have four mechs here, where are the other two? And you kind of have to really pay attention to them. We're in a 12v12, 12 12, you don't really have to worry about the other two that are just kind of chilling out, doing it for a flank whatnot, uh, as long as you can win the main engagement. Where with a 6v6, 6 6, if, if you win the main engagement, you can still possibly lose if you do enough damage out there um, because every mech does matter a little bit more than that.
0: I mean, to me, one of the my key sort of rationales in my head for a smaller than 12 um, team size is that... It seems to me that the more players you get, the more sort of random it's going to be. Um, you know, where if you have a little, like you're saying, a flank going one way and you stumble into six people, it's going to be less dramatic than if you stumble into 12 people. You know, the the number of guns on the field um, that can target one or two people at a time is going to dramatically shift sort of the dice rolling aspect of the game where, um, you know, it just feels... I guess more competitive to use that word um, to have to, to reduce those sizes down. What do you think about that? Yeah, so that, that's actually a pretty good point. And then, you know,
2: with uh, most maps being uh, all the terms basically running conquest or, or something of that similar nature, it makes going for those caps more of a uh, thoughtful decision rather than, all right, yeah, we're going to send you to the cap right away versus, ooh, this is grimplexed. This is kind of a big map. Do we really want to send? Two of our mechs off to go grab a cap over here, we'll be down two heavy hitters versus six. So I, I think it actually does affect decision making on the maps a lot more than with a 12v12. Where it's like, okay, I can send a whole lance off and nobody will care.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see a 12v12 tournament, see how it plays out, but um, that sort of covers the upper limit of the and this is quite an interesting topic to me so forgive me if i drill down into it a little bit because it's it does seem relevant right now as well with these tournaments that we've been talking about and um and also with the world championships as well coming up we're got to be talking about what works and what doesn't work you know so the so that deals with the upper limits you know bringing it down from 12 to 8 or 6 uh, makes sense but what about reducing it further past six, five, four, three, two, one 1v1s. What's, what's the difference there?
2: So the difference there, I think if you're under four pilots, strategy, or four pilots, so like if you go 4v4, 2v2, 1v1, I think a lot of map strategy actually gets kind of, not necessarily thrown out the window, but it matters a little bit less than it would in a 6v6. Um, so like if you do like 1v1s and 2v2s, I used to participate in a... I'll end up 1v1 and 2v2 tournaments back in the day. I just about everyone I could enter, I entered in, uh, did it sensible. But you know, a lot of them is, hey, all right, I like this area of the map. I'm going to wait here, or I'm going to force my opponent into somewhere else. But you know, it, from that point, it depended 100% on your skill versus the other person's skill, where there's really not too much deception or map trickery going on. So it kind of limits your options and what you can do in it. Because uh, with the 2v2 or 3v3, you really don't want to send one guy around flanking because then you've lost quite literally a third of your firepower or in case of 2v2, two two, half your firepower. And if you get caught out and you're not in position to do it, you're just going to get hammered and lose. Uh, or if you do the flank, it might not be successful because you're no longer hitting the same components. One guy will be hitting from the side or back, other guy will be hitting from the front, or both guys on the other team will be hitting from the front there. So I think it kind of limits your opportunities for uh, map control, map strategies and those really small tournaments myself. Um, that's not to say I don't like them. I think it just limits the potential for that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're relating it back in the end to what what you guys might want to do next and what you're sort of reflecting on for what, for your tournament. So it's okay to, so to sort of critique it from that perspective. Um, I think, yeah, to, to, um, to tack on to what you said, it, the smaller sizes tend to descend more and more towards brawls, right? yeah, cause you really can't you can't really play,
2: I mean, you could play long range, but it's very hard to consistently play long range the whole time versus two two. So like let's say you take uh, two long range mechs, like a mad cat two and like a uh, Hellbringer or something like that, just throwing two random mechs out there that are decent at mid range or long range, versus something like two linebackers. well, unless you get so much damage on them beforehand and break their legs or their their missile the arms, whatever you're going to be in a real bad time when they get up close and it almost doesn't make sense to go long range, especially on maps where it is 2v2. You can just stay in the little corners and you won't get a whiff of them until they're right on top of you.
0: You need those You need those other mem- members of your team uh, to be standing up the front to pr- protect you from a, a light swarm or whatever if you're going to play range. And, it, and it'd be interesting to sort of have a look at at what point below six those sort of... Range rolls or role war- warfare, to use that trigger word, um, would becomes <laughs> stops becoming viable.
2: Yeah, I, I think even in 6v6s, you kind of started seeing that become less viable. There were a couple of obvious exceptions, like on Grimm, uh for people would, where actually the map strategy kind of changed the way to go on the back after everyone saw EMP use it. And it's like, oh crap, this is a great spot. And that was ca- kind of one of the few maps where you did see range versus like Mining Collective, where you actually saw a lot of brawl. Versus a lot of range like you'll normally see in quick play because it's just more viable for a smaller map like mining with not super long sight lines, but like medium sized sight lines there. So it just kind of makes sense to go brawl and a lot of maps into 6v6, where I think with an 8 8 I think you'll, you'll see a lot more range on mine collective than you did with ISC. So I, I think 6v6 is probably the lower limit where you'll see uh, range focused teams transition to brawl.
1: I think the 6v6 is kind of the sweet spot in size uh, for the point where you start losing your uh, uh, strategy, uh, team strategy, and you start going into more tactical mech-on-mech uh, mech combat. You, you, you can still actually do a strategy of we're going to cap this time versus we're just going to try to focus on the, the combat.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, let's... let's let's. Um spend a lot of time on that one little point <laughs> so we've got the inner sphere only you guys getting rid of that nope nope that is gonna nope. stay f- as long
2: <laughs> as this competition is gonna be around
0: <laughs> inner sphere coalition gotta be inner sphere yeah exactly. exactly yeah but how did you feel like what was different about running an inner sphere tournament compared to either uh, either mixed or you know i've never seen a clan only but if there was a clan only what would be different there
1: Oh, I, I think I think if you did clan only, you'd, you'd have some of the same things that came up this time with uh, InterSphere only. Uh, we started seeing some mechs that aren't normally showing up in the in the comp uh, games where it's it's combined InterSphere and clan. Um, the the Vulcan, for example, um, I think it really had a, a niche in the InterSphere only. I don't know if we'd see it as uh, predominantly if it was a mixed. Uh, tournament of clan and inner sphere but i think if we did a, a, cl- a clan only um tournament down the road or somebody did you're gonna still s- you're gonna see that come up too maybe a clan mech that normally doesn't get used will get used and adds more variety to the overall uh gameplay which i think is a good thing
0: yeah i mean I th- i'm not sure i agree with you on the vulcan in particular because i think the inner sphere medium pulses are just really strong in any f- in any setting right now and the and the pseudo the inner sphere pseudo lights just dominate and I think we'll continue to see the Vulcan. I think it was found in the ISC kind of thing because it came available not long before it. I think we'll continue to see it in comp play but I guess we'll see uh, how that prediction bears out. But I do agree with you that there is mechs that you see in an NSV-only tournament that, like the Grasshopper, that you see Not Bob maybe um, uh, would be replaced by other things because you start um, as a drop deck crafter or a drop commander, you see... Um, a gap in your in your team where you need a you need a clan meet, basically. I want a hellbringer. What can I use instead of a Hellbringer? Um but I think the
2: biggest difference I think for versus a clan is I think with clan you'd see a lot more range because clan honestly isn't great for brawling due to like the longer burn times of the lasers. Even though everything weighs a little less, everything just has such a longer duration to burn it to for the burn times especially on the lasers. Uh, And generally the mechs really don't have good geometry for brawling uh, with maybe one notable exception, which I'd say the linebacker. But even then, that thing is super squishy to range. So you might not even see the linebacker for brawl. So I think you'd see a lot of range decks in a 6v6 versus in a sphere where uh, a brawl is a much more suitable option or a much more desirable option uh, versus a clan 6v6 only.
0: Yeah, I think... um the, the tankiness of Enosphere needs to be mentioned in that yes conversation. absolutely um, <laughs> you know they've got all the armor and structure quirks like the Vulcan, the assassin, all that kind of thing all found um, and, and and that, as a player, I quite enjoyed how it really slows the game down because you can you can take a punch, you can make a mistake yeah,
2: you can make a mistake and not die immediately or get out, and then that's play incredibly passive so so it does lead to maybe. Not, not necessarily more mistakes, but at least a little bit more aggressive gameplay or aggressive long-range trading because you do have that extra armor. Or with a brawl, you you can have a lot more f- a fun brawl because people are living forever. It's like oh step, oh step. He's at twenty health. Oh god, he's he's barely alive. He's barely alive. Oh god, get him down. And then it just keeps like going. And then you get him down, but then like two makes on the side die, and then another goes swings back and forth. So I I think you know, intersphere brawling is. Probably one of the funnest things to watch, in my opinion.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you combine that with the lower DPS as well. You know, the clans can just pump out a whole crap load of damage (laughs) with one alpha that the inner sphere just can't quite match. And so combine that with the armor, then it just slows things down. All right. So let's move on to the next uh, aspect. You guys had a 325 tonnage on it. How did that bear out? So we we got a uh, not necessarily a mixed feeling about it, but we had a couple of suggestions on it,
2: uh, saying that we might want to uh, increase or change the ton limits as the drops go by. Because up here saying, hey, we're only seeing the same ten mechs across all the drops here. There's not many assaults or heavies that can get that can even get played with that limit. So I think for next time we might be adjusting the limits, uh, maybe like a gradual increase across the drops or a gradual decrease across the drops, starting at a higher tonnage limit. Uh, just so we can see a little bit more variation in mechs played, um, we're still kind of working out the details on how, what exactly the tonnage limit would be. Um, but I think for the most part, especially in terms of like new teams getting their feet wet in comp, uh, having a set three twenty five tonnage limit was actually very good because it it also helped with uh, mech selection. I should say also because um, you did have to use the same tonnage across all the drops. There, it did help. And create a more diverse playing field and a more uh, a more interesting uh, drop deck selection strategy because you only have that one tonnage limit across it versus a gradual gradu- graduating uh, tonnage limit.
0: Yeah, one caveat that I'd have for a decreasing tonnage thing that we've seen uh, from MOR, um, I think we should learn from that is that if you start with a really high tonnage. Um, Obviously, forces you in effect to take a lot of very slow mix, and that in itself really changes up the game. Not just the fact that you've got the assaults on the field, but that you are slow moving. Oh yeah! Um, oh yeah! And when you've got a big lumbering, slow moving team, um, looms in particular become <laughs> very effective because you can't get out of the way of them as easily. Um, and and obviously ATMs and things like that in that same breath. Uh, so that's one thing I'd, I'd bear in mind if you're gonna if you're gonna start big, then you, you go slow as well.
2: Yeah, and I think also with the uh, high turn rate, you really gotta be a little bit more careful about the map pool that you have in place for it, because you don't want to have something like poor highlights where it'll take thirty minutes to even see the enemy. I mean, obviously that's a little bit hyperbole, but you don't want to spend half the match walking to try and find the enemy uh, on a giant open map point to get them down. See that nothing quick, but you don't want to really bring that in a comp in here. So I think you got to be a little more deliberate about what maps you choose or what map pool you choose with that higher tension because you don't want it to be a boring walk fest only to have basically nothing happen. So it does actually change the admin side as well uh, in terms of consideration for all that.
0: Yeah, so I mean, let's combine that with... The conversation around the map format that you guys had—you had a, you know, quite a tight map selection that just rotated around. Um, we did have a switchover, sort of about one third of the way through, where we switched to a different map. Was that? A, I think it was about one third. Um, one thing that I liked about ISC that maybe some other people didn't really um, click into or didn't like as much um, was that you get to hone in on a map so you get to you know bring a drop deck to a map and see how it works and then you know that you're going to play that map again and again so you can just really clearly um define in what your team is good at doing on that map and how you can win on that map and then sort of a trial and error or evolutionary um design process for your drop decks i really appreciated that and that's why i was a little bit disappointed to see um hpg manifold get taken out of the thing because i was like oh we're just clicking in with this at what we're going to do in hpg and it's getting taken away so it's a little bit of a selfish perhaps way of looking at it but i did i did like that aspect it it was kind of the problem
1: too was that uh, some teams got overly honed in on it and it it made it made it uh one-sided depending on who got up on the wall first
2: yeah in terms of hg it was just it is I actually personally HPG is my favorite map. Uh, that being said, I understand the concerns because it really did matter on who got the wall first, and then everyone else just had to hide in the basin. so it did kind of make sense from a balance perspective to swap it out once it just got too dominant, and then a lot of people voice concerns. So it's like okay, probably gotta talk about it. So we actually brought it up in uh, the team leader chat, had a vote, made sure that it was majority of people that it was actually. A decent high majority was like 75% were in favor of actually swapping the map over. So we wanted to make sure that we were as transparent as possible. We had like a week-long discussion about swapping over the pros and cons. But like you said, it, it, uh, having this small map pool really allows you to focus down on the strategies. And you can actually see your strategies evolve over time. Kind of like what we saw with Grimm, actually. Like initially, the fights were around Kappa. Uh, and then center part of the map. And then it shifted over to the backside around uh, Epson Gamma on uh, the exact opposite side of the map because uh, you could more easily control the two cap points there, uh, which brought in a whole different dynamic because uh, initially it was more of a mid-range fight around uh, Kappa. And then it turned into an extreme long-range fight at uh, the of the corner map. So it was kind of cool to see actually the map strategy evolve even on that small map set. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool, but we also didn't want to limit it to one map like a uh, world champion 2017, which was abysmal Canyon for like 95 drops or some crap like that.
1: <laughs> and, and it should be interesting too. If we do a scaling on the, um, tonnage and then also continue our map rotation it'll probably throw a little bit more variability in and it would probably unfortunately like you said uh make it harder to hone in your strategy per map because you may not always get the same tonnage for that map so that's something we'll we'll be looking at considering for the next go around exactly how to pair that up yeah
0: that's the kind of the point that i was um tangentially making that you know, if, if, if you are swinging the tonnage around, that's gonna, you're not going to be able to recycle those drop decks and strategies. It's not necessarily going to translate into an assault-heavy drop or conversely into a very light drop. It's going to play out very differently.
1: We might have to make some tonnage and map pairings, maybe.
0: Mm, I really did like that aspect of, of ISC, that honing in, that um, how does it work for us, how does this map work for us. And we never quite got there with some maps and other maps we just – owned up on which was it was cool and you know and you got the um additional sort of aspect that if you got a sort of clicked into the meta in your first drop or you know you've you sort of saw something like i think we started out on grimplexus with with um going for those side caps because we'd seen it in a previous tournament long ago um that meant let us get the jump on people early on and then it sort of catches on, and then you've got to go. Well, now they're going to do it too, so how are we going to adapt to that? And I quite like that, right? And then
2: you gotta you know, figure out how do we actually carry the same strategy everything. that we used,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How do we beat ourselves now, yeah? <laughs> Although, if you're as well, it's uh, pretty easy. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> <laughs> hmm, <laughs> is that exactly 100% true? Not long. <laughs> Uh, i think I we did the face fifth. you actually yeah yeah i think we actually did fight each other yeah <laughs> yeah it was three two i think you guys managed to snaff- snaffle a couple of drops off us
2: yeah we all, we, all, we had fun even though we had a ridiculously hard schedule it was a lot of fun playing all these cool teams
0: <laughs> yeah cool the um max five of a chassis we had like you could bring five falcons across the course of all the drops just stick with five,
2: yeah, change it up, yeah, probably gonna stick with five. It's a nice, easy number, and you don't have to do too much tinkering to figure
0: it out. okay, that's a nice, easy, easy answer to that one. <laughs> yeah, let's move straight on. about heroes uh, so there's been a lot of discussion about it. some people like the
2: aspect of no heroes, we kind of liked it, but there's also some good points. you can see a little bit more variety mix with the heroes in there, so we're still kind of on the fence about that one. I'm personally leaning towards no heroes, I want to still make it. As uh bill friendly as possible, so uh, the like so like the first iteration of ISC was geared towards new teams or new to comp teams. Um, so we only had one big name that entered it, and that was 228 back in time. And we quite literally disallowed any other team that we thought would way overperform uh, versus everyone else. But with that term right there, you know, we wanted to make it quite easy and simple and accessible to everyone. And that's kind of where the no heroes, intersphere only uh thing came from um so we kind of want to continue that trend
0: okay well if i can give you a couple of counterpoints here (laughs) go for it one (laughs) when the game's old you know and there's a lot of events that give you mc there's a lot of ways of getting mc if you're a free-to-play player there's a lot of ways even of getting hero mechs um without necessarily putting any money down on the table uh so that's one thing is that I think heroes are quite accessible. Sales every week, it seems like at the moment, 40 50% off sales. Um, And the other thing that I'd say, and I'll get you to respond to both, is that I don't think heroes are must-haves anyway. I think they're just another option on the table. I think there's very few, especially if you limit it down to just Inosphere, there's very, very few heroes that are better than the standard variants that are must-haves, Ivy 4 maybe.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Most heroes generally are not better than the SIBO counterparts. Uh, it's more like the spirit, like, hey, we don't want that in general. Even though I agree with you on all those points, MC is very easy to come by if you play the game. Uh, heroes are pretty accessible with all the MC you get and all the mech bays you can get, all jazz. So it is decently accessible, but the fact is that it still is an option to pay money for it. And so we will come on and try and limit it to just CBO, So That's it. That way there's no confusion. And uh, in case uh, somebody wins today, I don't want to hear any whining
0: about, oh, it's pay to win, even though that's kind of bullcrap. Yeah, there really is very few, I think. I think the IV-4 is good, but maybe not strong in a 6v6 because, you know, well, if it was the same structure as before, MRMs are not great versus light mechs or lighter mechs, fast movers and things like that. It's really hard to get Maybe if we do that graduate tunge
2: with heavier mechs, maybe you'd see it more because MRMs do just sandblast armor off, but yeah, they're not great against light mix.
0: Grinner. Grinner be another one. It's still probably, not as good as the Wolfhand 2, and I mean, it can bring ECM, but yeah. But ECM is kind of mad. <laughs> cool. Was there anything else you guys are looking up changing in terms of the sort of competition rules? Uh, I think
2: a couple of things that we uh, are asking going to be changing is actually the uh, Swiss system itself. We've been looking into Different styles of the Swiss, or even uh, having like a multi-stage tournament of it.
0: It's a really quick primer for anyone who doesn't hadn't followed the tournament until now, or doesn't know what the Swiss uh, is. Can you give us a thirty-second version?
2: So, the Swiss uh, system is it's a tournament designed around uh, matching seeds, and uh, basically, the whole idea of Swiss is to get better matches as you go on in the tournament, uh, pairing. your initial ranking with each other uh, and it's a graduating tourney versus your round robin, which is where you play everyone once and then you go on to like a finals, whatnot. not where Swiss is, you might not necessarily play everyone, but you'll play six weeks uh, based on your seeds against each other. So it's a different style of sorting uh, that really hasn't been used too often before in Um That's kind of a quick cut of Swiss, no pun intended.
0: <laughs> and, and and what sort of changes were you looking at making to that?
2: And so the sort of changes we we're um, thinking about doing is from the traditional seating high versus low. We are thinking about doing direct seating. So the matches actually won't necessarily get better as the matches go on, but you'll get your better matches first. So it will be seeding number one seed versus number two seed, and number three seed versus number four seed, number five seed versus number six seed. And the second week could be number one seed versus number three seed, number two seed versus number four uh, five seed, depending on who wins, obviously. So that would make a different style of Swiss. Uh, We're still kind of on the fence about that one. We haven't made any decision. I'm personally not a fan of that one. Um, But that's one thing that we could potentially change. But the main thing that we're probably going to be doing is a two-fold tournament system. So we're going to simulate the initial two rounds of Swiss seeding. So number one team isn't going to be playing the number 17 seed in this case. Uh, And then we're going to have... So those first two weeks we simulate, so we'll kind of half-pair everyone to begin with then do four weeks of Swiss. So we'll be playing weeks four through six in this system. And then uh, from there, after those four weeks, I think, or even five weeks, we're going to do a two or three week round robin tournament at the end of it, based on those ending seedings to get everyone like a playoff feel that these guys are the number one versus number two. And then everyone plays first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, so on and so forth to get those final spots there so so it has like a real ending to it rather than just okay it ends
0: would that translate into um sort of a similar kind of length of the tournament like six weeks yeah so
2: think about either six or seven weeks or it might be potentially a little bit longer um cuz if you'll six weeks for just swiss was a little short so it will translate into a slightly longer tournament which i think actually would work out well um cuz generally with swiss you want to do about Uh, I think for like 30 teams, you want to do about six to seven weeks of Swiss. Um, That's generally the recommendation there. Would that mean that we'd end up playing the same people again? Uh, No, Swiss actually will not let you play the same people again.
1: Um, So, yeah, with the the idea of doing the simulated, you you actually have instantaneously two of those those six rounds done immediately. Um, So we would have to extend out or do four rounds instead, plus the round robin at the end, or just extend out the Swiss. But we think that that would be a good way to set up that initial seeding. We'll, we'll use the seeding um, based on, uh, for example, Jarl's list, but probably the top eight players of each team instead of the whole team, which diluted some of the, the overall skill levels. And then that first two weeks of simulated play um, that happens instantaneously, will just set up the first set of matches and everybody should be in a, a good place at that point.
0: Right, right. And what about um, some of the other uh, sort of, if you want to call it, administration sides of the tournament?
1: We're definitely going to get rid of uh, having an odd number of teams to begin with. Um, we can't control teams dropping out, but we want to avoid the situation that we had this time where teams are getting um, buys and, and then not able to uh, win matches. And the only way to get MC for the, the, the MC reward, uh, not the final rewards, but the during the tournament rewards was to actually drop and win matches.
0: Yeah, that was an unusual speak to your tournament as well. You get to sort of MC per win. I
1: I think it was probably one of my favorite parts of this tournament. It was actually, uh, I can't uh, take credit for it. Actually, that was your idea. Um, You brought up at one of our.
0: Oh, was it? Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah. no, you, you mentioned that in uh, uh, the first uh, interview you did with us. And I was like, you know, that's a really good idea. And so we went with that because we were talking at that time about a tiered reward system and the the mc per drop kind of added in all these cool aspects that i've always liked about BattleTech was basically like being a mercenary and going there and earning your pay right and so each team had to go in and earn their pay and they did that by taking away drops it also allowed every single team in the tournament to walk away with something and the better teams to walk away with more obviously um which I, i thought was a great aspect and it also essentially just automatically tiered that that prize pool that we were given one of the things we definitely want to improve upon that for next season is to see if pgi will give us uh more mc per drop um so that those rewards for the higher teams are much larger um and we also uh realized that our our prize pool uh for the winning teams the special ones that the aces wild members uh, scraped up the uh the cash for to to give out um were a little heavy on the individual reward size their side and we want to we want to spread that out more amongst teams next time instead of individuals
0: yeah i thought it was a, a really cool aspect of the um the tournament and it it definitely was discussed um definitely on our team, but presumably on, on, on every team that, you know, actually if we lose this, we lose money. (laughs) It's money out of our pocket to lose this game or, or it's, yeah, we've won, we've just won some MC guys. So that's, uh, you know, it was really tangible incentive to win, uh, which was great. And it's cool that that little, you know, idea off the cuff idea that we had together in that first podcast played out and worked out well for you. So that was good. And um, coming back to the second thing you said, I I think, um, you know, if you're relating back your special prizes, what like, what were the special categories like a couple of them?
1: Uh, so we had the team that moved the highest from their initial seeding, which was kind of one of my favorite ones, actually. That's a uh, and it was DSAG that got that and they, they crawled their way up from a fairly low start point to a pretty high one. Um, we also saw some other teams that fell, quite a ways too, which was interesting. Um, and a little unexpected, uh, the other special awards for, uh, um, uh, we had first second and third place for teams. And then for individuals, we had the highest amount of damage done, the most kills done,
0: and then the most overall, um, uh, assists. Yeah. And I think when you, I think Kozen, um, even said to you early on that a lot of those rewards would end up going to the same people if, if, if it was done like that. So maybe we could look at um, ways that we could sort of finesse those um, qualifying things next time that um, it doesn't all get lumped onto uh, the same few people.
1: Or even just scaling the uh, the prize package down a little bit so that the teams were more incentivized uh, for their, their con- contributions
2: or, or even potentially adding like a new random one, like a cap got award person who spent the most time on a cap point. Now that we can actually pull those stats
0: out. (laughs) And and I mean, it's, it's, it is tough for cappers, lights going around doing that duty because, you know, that's not the, that's not the number people look at when they're, you know, that's not the number the streamers look at. That's not the number that um, your team captain's going to call out um, good job on you know, spending the most time on cap, hopefully they will, but oftentimes, you know, the the biggest um, rewards uh, and glory is a better word, go to the person who did the most damage or got the most kills and those kind of things. And if you were just a little flea running around from cap to cap winning the game, you might not get that recognition, so something like that would be quite cool. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's like me
1: when uh, and not Bob can attest to this. I'm usually the bait <laughs> <laughs> most of the <laughs> times we play, and and it's because I've got the the game discipline to actually do you know what not Bob wants me to do, go up and then be a target. And yeah, I, I don't get any glory for that, but my team wins, so uh, it's all be. fresh with fifty-seven yes. damage or something like that. <laughs>
0: exactly. If there's so a damage
1: taken award, I would get it.
0: <laughs> Spread that damage everywhere. Yep. Okay, so the we've got the um, MechWarrior Warrior World Championships, uh, which are not going to be the MechWarrior Warrior World Championships. No nope. head. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the Mick Warrior <laughs> Championship Series um, uh, coming up, which is uh, going to be a player run, um, sort of outsourced Worlds this year. So, you know what sort of Looking back at what's happened before uh for worlds you know we've had the the comp queue uh in game where you go in and search for a, a competitive game we've had stock mode we've Ugh. had trigger warning we've <laughs> yeah. had, um, uh we've had endless time on canyon that was mentioned earlier what 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 can you guys um what advice can you guys give? to the organizers of that forthcoming tournament um, based on your own experience with running this? Don't do stock mode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think the biggest thing I'd see
2: is make it in such a way that, you know, it's, there's an incentive for every team to play rather than just the top teams, even though it is World Championship Series. And, even though we probably know the top five teams. I, I think there really needs to be a way to incentivize all the other teams that to, all the other teams to play. So like what we did right here, giving uh, everyone money when they win immediately when they win is very different than all right, well you placed fifth and you don't get anything congrats or something like that. So I, I think the challenge is to make it in such a way that, you know, everyone will want to play it and try and compete because uh, all the times you are just going to be running to the same guys. I know uh, last year when we did the comp queue, and it was only open for, like, a, uh, every cup, like, what was it? I think it was actually open every day, I think. I don't remember what was anymore. I've kind of blocked down my memory. Uh, you know, we kept on pairing against EON or two, EMP 228. Like, I think we hit them 28 times out of our 35 matches that we played, and it's just like, oh, my God, this is just abysmal, abysmal. playing stuff yeah, against it, it. It was brutal,
1: and it didn't – And it, all it did was create uh, – a will like it broke our will. We didn't want to keep doing it. We did it to the end, just stubbornly, but we were just, beating ourselves against a wall that were some really great teams. And it, I don't think it helped them at all. I don't think it really gave them any advantage to just stomp us every time. Um, and and it, that kind of like that whole process is one of the reasons that when we, we went into the ISC and we started planning it, we wanted to make it so that every team could come and participate originally with divisions. And then we went with a Swiss system um which allowed everybody to play and i think it's a testament for isc that we didn't lose a single team throughout the tournament everybody came and everybody played all of their matches because there was an incentive to be there there was mc on the table and there was a chance you could get that even if you were playing mp they might slip up who knows you'd get one match in you know so like there was that 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 energy and that drive to keep going and Everybody had fun. Like I don't think anybody came. And was like man, I just hit wall after wall and wall, and I got so fed up with MWO and the comp scene over this tournament.
2: Everybody was pretty pretty happy with it. So one of the things you could look at doing is it, with the comp queue itself. It's kind of hard because you literally have to queue up for it. Um, but I, I really like the idea of actually scheduling out matches beforehand, similar to I, I guess the ab- abomination of 2017, where it was all can all the time. But if you could schedule out the matches ahead of time, uh, you know, that reduces a lot of the stress about, oh, God, am I going to hate EMP freaking again? Oh, my God, please kill me. Um, or even just reducing. I think there's already some talk about reducing it to just maybe one or two days only that the queue is open. So that way, there's a much greater chance that there is more than just EMP or two to eight in the queue. Um and if there's weight that they can that we can get access or we can allow them to like, hey, these two guys are prioritized to fight against each other, that should always be the case uh with that, just because they're really not going to learn anything from fighting someone like uh A w. It's like, yeah, really didn't do anything for either team, and it was a completely one side stomp. eight, congratulations, I guess you win. you know I, I think the biggest thing is just to reduce the window that it's open. Uh, Maybe even like six hours, like four or five hours every time zone prime time right there to reduce even further. That way teams have to be online at that time to play. uh, And that way there's more teams available in the queue. I I think if you reduce the window that it's open, that will make it a lot better uh, in terms of getting the matches out there, getting the uh, people playing it against teams closer to their skill level, but still allowing EMPT's way to showcase their skill, but maybe against better teams where they'll actually learn something and actually be challenged a little
0: bit. Exactly. You put six or eight teams all in the queue together and you'll get better match matchups from the ELO matchmaker. So yeah, I think that's a really good suggestion. And I, I mean it should be said that I I in my opinion that the um the tournament's in really good hands with the MWOC crew. I know that they're already talking about exactly all of the stuff that we've been talking about. They really they really want to Get it so that um, so-called beer leagues—so many trigger words in this conversation—but <laughs> yeah, so-called right. beer <laughs> leagues can participate. Um, because even if they did participate this the last time, they they wouldn't have participated for very long under those conditions. So they would have just had a couple of goes and thought, hmm, actually, no thanks. I'm going to go do something else. Um, so yeah, I I know that they're talking about, um, and I think nothing's officially announced. So I can't really say much. But uh talking about um exactly what you're talking about, directing people into the comp queue at certain times, whether or not we'll be able to open and close it, I don't think, because PGI have no resources right now. Um, but you could at least say, hey guys, everyone jump on this time. We're all gonna start searching and then sort of whatever happens, happens, and hopefully get some good matchups that way. Um, and then potentially running a sort of a side-by-side um Invitational tournament as well, like a sort of a traditional um, community run tournament as another way of qualifying. Yeah, and, they're, and, and doing a couple different tournaments at once for it. So, yeah, they, they,
2: like I said, I think it's in great hands. So, I'm not that worried about it. I don't think there's going to be some silly rules. Um, yeah, just instead of there. All the ideas they're coming up with, I think, have been pretty good so far. I haven't seen anything that I've been like, oh, what the frick? What is this?
0: My only concern is that it's fairly convoluted at the moment
2: yeah i I think once we get a little bit closer to actually starting i think it'll be brought out a little bit more clear on exactly what it is because right now i think they have like there's a graphic up there with like four different tournaments running side by side and then these guys move on to the next stage and then these plates like what the frack what is this but i I think as time gets closer i think that'll get more focused down to exactly what we need uh and we'll, we'll make a better tournament
1: the only thing that I could think of is a qualifying, um, like a preliminary, that would qualify people for uh, a couple of divisions, and then um, I think that a lot of teams would show up for that, and then try to get sorted into divisions, and then try to fight for wins in those divisions, because. Um, because if we if we just do one large division, I can I can guarantee I can tell you exactly who the top five are going to be, and and a lot of teams are probably going to be discouraged from even trying because they know that if you break it down into like three divisions, um, the the top five in each division, there might be some more variability there.
0: All right, so let's let's move on to talk a little bit more about the uh, the nitty gritty uh, of that forthcoming tournament uh, in terms of. What we saw in the ISC that um, we kind of already talked about the Vulcan. Uh, There's a couple of points of view there. Um, what are the sort of builds and play styles? Like, I think Kozend um, covered it really nicely with his comp updates, talking about the um, capping control strat versus brawl strat, which were the sort of the two main ones. Um, we're likely to see that come through in the worlds as well. I should stop calling it worlds. The series, yeah, World <laughs> the, Series. Wait, we're we playing baseball now? Tournament thing. I mean, notwithstanding any major patch changes, um, I think, uh, it's, I think we'll see medium pulse, NSF, medium pulse continue to, um, yeah t- t- continue to crush that light and medium. I think we're gonna see that hundred percent.
2: I think we're also gonna see a lot of uac clan UX out there. Uh, take like the uh blood ass. I think you're gonna if they're going to have a salt mix in there, I think you're probably going to see blood in there. With um, The higher mounts, you maybe might see the madcap, but that thing is pretty easy to kill now because people learned, Oh, it's arms are weak as heck. So I, I think it all depends on really what maps are going to be played on what strategy. So like if you have solaris again, I think you are going to have to uh, have that short range. And I don't think you'll see that blood as much. You might see the direwolf though, with the ultraviolet with the AUX.
0: Hmm. I really liked playing solaris and, I mean, it, it, even though I was disappointed that we changed away from HPG for those own sort of personal reasons, it was, um, you know, we hadn't seen that much of Solaris in a competitive format. So it's interesting to, to watch how it's sort of the strategies evolve on that um, and how, you know, people learn what works and what doesn't work. And yeah, a big in-your-face kind of juggernaut-type drop decks with some fast movers uh Nibbling on the flanks seems to be the way to go. I think we had a quad LBX Annihilator in there and then a bunch of vo- those aforementioned Vulcans and Assassins and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I actually brought my uh, Solaris Annihilator with the five LBXs. That thing is slow as crap, but on Solaris, you really don't need speed.
1: One team even brought an Atlas and a whole bunch of urban mechs, which uh, apparently was <laughs> rather rather humorous. <laughs> Even if they uh, didn't win, actually, I think that was an Ace's Wild team. It's for the memes,
0: <laughs> yeah. You gotta do it, you gotta do it. Um, just to close out, I'd like to uh, maybe touch on what some of the favorite moments for you guys were in the tournament that we saw. It, I mean, you we've already mentioned the Atlas Erby drop deck. What else was there?
2: <laughs> uh, I really enjoy watching uh, Merkstar Crab people because they always bring at least every job or at least every series they'll bring all crabs and I freaking love it. It's hilarious. I think they didn't do it against, uh, I think, but they, they brought it against every other team. And I think it's absolutely hilarious. And I love it.
0: (laughs) I, I, I gotta love the meme decks. They're great. It's great to have, great to have a, a sort of a signature move, if you will. And I mean, um, Two two eight Black Watch brought a crab rush against us. It's not just a meme, it actually is a yeah, really powerful. That's the funny job thing. Deck. Crabs aren't
2: garbage, so it actually works out okay.
0: <laughs> and it, we knew that two to eight Black Watch, because of the cousin's step pack, we're probably gonna bring a crab rush against us, and we prepared for it and they smashed us because it's really, really hard to to stop a crab rush, even if you know it's coming. Because they're so tanky and they've got the DPS. Yeah, the five million pulses
2: on there, five to six million pulses. It's pretty difficult to get in there unless you can break their legs off early and separate them. But oh man, it's it's tough. But yeah, it, it's it's fun to watch. I I think probably one of my other favorite things is there. Even though the uh, length was a little bit long in terms of the actual match time, twenty minutes each. Uh, there were a couple matches that actually came down to within like five cap points of each other uh, for the final victory. Um, I think uh, it was 2 to eighth in Cameron's Highlanders, I think, that it came down to 749 to 750 caps. Literally one tick away from victory for either team. And it was it was pretty fun to watch. So there, there's been some good matches there. And then uh, the JJX versus EMP fight that was streamed, that was also incredible to watch. Two very, very, very skilled teams. EMP obviously being the world champions and they uh, from the past couple of years, and they've obviously proved it with how freaking dominant they've been playing. But then JGX coming up and being like, yo, we're good too, yo. And they they took two drops off of EMP in that match series right there. And they made a very, very convincing show. So that was really fun to watch. Even though EMP came out on top, uh, it was still a very, very fun
0: match to watch. Yeah, some really uh, high-level competitive play going on in that tournament. And uh, JGX um, did manage to show that they're a real contender uh, for the for the crown going into this year's world. You could say I mean EMP was dominant there's no there's no oh, debate yeah. no
2: no no debating that whatsoever But I think JJx will give him run for the money. I would have liked to see if Eon would have joined in, but I know because it was mostly n a times it've been very very hard for them to join in same with rg RJ, that would have been fun to see him in here um but just times have kind of ran. but yeah, I think uh, if they fight it'll be a very very
0: good match and, and and there's more more as well that we haven't seen yet I think uh there's, there's some teams coming up. Uh, showing that they have the ability to compete at the higher levels. Um, so I think that, that we're in for a real show, uh, depending on what this what this uh, series turns out to be.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of true. I really like the idea of ISe also, because you can really see the teams that progressed up and just showed like, hey, we got the stuff to really take it on. Like uh, Cameron's Highlanders in particular, they actually really surprised me in a good way. Uh, I always thought that, you know, they're they a pretty decent team. Never thought they were super like that. But they they showed they could easily hang with the big dogs too. So well done on them also.
0: What about some of the biggest upsets that we saw in the tournament? Was there anything that you can bring to mind?
2: I think the biggest upsets for me was uh, Paragon Sect actually dropping massively. Um, I, I think... Both round one upset against them, and uh, I think it was round three. They also got round two or three. They got upset again. I think that was really kind of telling. Like, whoa, did not expect them, especially with how high they're seen and the quality of players that they actually do have in terms of individual skill. They're all very good pilots, but seeing them get upset, not just once but twice was like, oh, oh, dang. So I, I think it's probably my uh, the biggest upset that I saw. That was like, oh, hello. So it proves that Jarl obviously isn't everything.
0: Yeah, and I mean uh, that—that's something that you'd miss out on, perhaps with the um, with the simulated rounds that you wouldn't get, wouldn't have the opportunity for those upsets. We had uh, uh, death from below uh, lost two three to Crawdads in the first round oh, as that's well. That's
2: right. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So that those simulated, if if we do simulate those first rounds, it removes. I mean, it's probably worth it for to remove the uh, foregone conclusion kind of, you know let's go into let's start the tournament with a few stomps kind of thing, um which is maybe not good for the low seed teams um but you know it it, it, it is fun to have those upsets to have those games that people think are foregone conclusions and then they manage to take it three two or even even better, but anyway, I could talk about this stuff all day but yeah, <laughs> we probably need to wrap this show up uh before we do. was there anything else you guys wanted to mention? Uh, I just wanted to
1: thank everybody that came and participated in ISC. It was a resounding success. The support from the MW comp guys was awesome. Also, uh, cousin and all the work he did with the, the, the database and the statistics that really, really, really helped and highlighted a ton of aspects of, of uh, ISC that, and, and just in the comp scene in general that we haven't seen, um, and like more and and uh, well, I think more had it, but uh, BFM and the old old comp stuff, we never were able to analyze how everybody's performing, how the mechs were performing, and then put those into podcasts. It was really truly what helps make this an esport. and I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It was really cool. And again, thank everybody for participating. Um, Ace's Wild for putting up the special uh, awards that they pulled out of their own pockets for. That was awesome
0: yeah great and and thank you guys for for doing all that work because i mean you understated it a bit but i think that it it would have had a huge impact on your on your lives for the time that you know those six weeks or whatever it was that the the tournament is running and in the weeks leading up to it and the weeks after as well so it's it's no small amount of work i said and it makes a huge contribution to this community so thank you very much for doing that thank you very much for you know taking your, your units for taking money out of their own pocket to put prizes out. um yeah and I'm, i really look forward to participating in it again because it was a heap of fun
2: heck yeah um and also thank want to thank all the casters that were able to they volunteered their time to make it a really good experience especially uh Curlon, setting up all the uh stream overlays making it look really really freaking nice um uh, and then obviously again up to guys, MW Comp, you guys at IMP uh, for setting all this up. Uh, it's been awesome to get all these, all the extra information out there, a little bit more detail in it all. I uh, really like the breakdowns of, like I was saying, all the breakdowns with the stat sheets that you guys made and updated. Uh, it's really cool to see the progression of Mexa and how they perform across the tournament.
0: Yeah. Cousin did an amazing body of work there, guys. And it, I mean, if you ha- haven't seen it before, uh, we'll Put a link in the show notes for the uh the stat pack that cozen put together uh so you can really get in and nerd out over the um uh, with the each team and each pilot and each mech that was used in the tournament and um i mean it was a great resource as a as a captain to be able to go in and um sort of uh, scout the enemy that you're facing and go oh look these guys do crab rush okay we better prep for a crab rush you know <laughs> or, or whatever it was it, it, you could go in and burrow down and see what people have done on the maps that you were going to play either the opponent that you were facing or other teams. Um, And, and really once you get that kind of information out there, because some people do this on their own and then keep it secret amongst their team, this kind of stuff. And then, um, but once you sort of democratize that information, it really brings up the level of the whole tournament. So it was a really great resource and I'll take no credit for it. just pass on my own thanks to Cozen for doing all that work because it was really good and those comp updates were very entertaining as well. I think we all enjoyed having our names read out uh, for glory on there. I have our have team, about hearing five about minutes our team. of glory. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whether it was for most team damage or whatever it was. Right. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys very much for joining us today and we look forward to seeing more from Aces Wild in the future.
3: If you did enjoy this content then please consider supporting us you can do this in a multitude of ways including subscribing to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leaving reviews as well as subscribing to us on youtube and liking our videos you can also support us by sending us feedback either through comments tweets or directly through email tweet and follow us on twitter at incoming p or email us directly at incoming missile podcast at gmail.com You can also support us directly by becoming a patron or sponsor. You can find us on Patreon at Incoming Missile Podcast and choose one of three tiers of support. Patrons not only get mentioned on the podcast and get access to exclusive content, but can even join us as a guest host on the podcast. You can also opt to sponsor an episode through one-off donations, all of which will be used as giveaways for our listeners. So if you had a product, service or content that you'd like us to mention, contact us to discuss sponsoring an episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We look forward to hearing from you. We appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you next time.
2: Shutting down.